live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City. We are heart of the matter where we're getting together and talking about what it means to live in the age of fulfillment. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to, I have a lot of notes here, but not that long of a show. And, and I'm just going to kind of refer to them, but talk more freely. also want to thank uh, Seth for that uh, introduction because it's hopefully going to allow us to have an introduction. We'll wait and see. Last week, we stuck our toe in the doctrinal pool of Christianity in the age of fulfillment, talking in, about the Trinity. And I think it's really important for me to clarify that this is my opinion on the makeup of God. It's how I interpret and see the scripture. And it's a really important issue relative to the age of Christian fulfillment. And why is that? Well, you can see over there the title of the show is Jesus in a Burqa. Now, that's, that's pretty radical. A Burqa is a head covering, full body covering. That the, full bur- the Burqa is a full thing. Jesus in a Burqa. Is that possible? We'll talk about it. God has reconciled the world to himself by and through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're not beholden to each other, to doctrinal certitudes, um, uh, um, out in the world. And the concept of the Trinity is debatable. It's debatable as far as I can tell. And as a believer, I can't agree with all of it, but it doesn't mean that I am right and that people must agree with me to be seen as uh, believers. Uh, all it means, as far as I can see, is that since the work has been finished by Christ, like a doctrine of the Trinity, we ought to be able to allow ourselves to have some separation on what we believe and think. We can have differing opinions and not have to castigate and alienate one another. Let's let God be the judge of a person's doctrinal understandings. Now, why am I so liberal with that? Why do I talk about it that way? It's because of the age of fulfillment. So as far as the Trinity goes, I know many people, most people, in fact, many in our audience are Trinitarians. And they call themselves that. I'm not sure they really understand what that is. But at at least those people that I know, they have the patience and grace to allow me to have my views. And they don't uh, separate from me as a brother or sister. But uh, any more than I part ways with Trinitarians. I I don't at all. I consider them my brothers and sisters. Um, But this approach is so opposite of what most strident Trinitarians are like. They say it's got to be or you're not a Christian. And, and you know, I bring these kinds of things up because I think it's time that we sort of say, oh, come on, George, you know, just calm yourself down. You know, and I'm going to try to present to you why I think George needs to be calm about his demands that everybody believe exactly like he does, uh, even with regard to the Trinity. So as much as I can, let's try to trace, uh, change the course of this river and, and step wide in embracing all people, especially those people who love, seek, and try to follow God through Christ. So in this age of fulfillment, the natural transition in our program for tonight is then, what do we do as Christians relative to Jesus Christ? That's the next thing. We've talked about the Trinity uh, in the past few weeks. What do we do about Jesus Christ? Some maintain that he must be seen as 
the second person of the of God, God the Son, as defined 1,750 years ago. And that translates to a lot of working definitions that have to be in place in order for people to be accepted as true believers and real and genuine and, and therefore saved. You have the doctrine and you say you adhere to it or you're out of the camp. You're gone. You, you are not a Christian. It's like one of the favorite things Christians say. You're not a Christian uh, to each other. And so, for example, the makeup of the Mormon Christ causes many people, especially most Christians, to consider Mormon people hellbound or sort of Christian or fully unqualified to be seen as a follower of Christ. Their view of Christ it is and God. It's absolutely no, you cannot be a Christian. So I want to examine this tonight relative through living in the age of fulfillment where God through Christ, listen, has finished the work of reconciling the world to himself. Let me speak for this for uh, to a minute. In Colossians 1, verse 20, we read, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So he talks there, Paul talks about the reconciliation of all things unto himself, speaking of Christ. And this reconciliation is of God to man in heaven and in earth, of all things unto himself, no matter where they are. The Greek word translated reconcile there is apak atalasko. And apak atalasko means to restore or reconcile completely, to reconcile back again to what something was, to bring back the former state of harmony. So was there a separation between God and Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall? There was not. That's what has been reconciled back to the earth, heaven and or earth. Was God angry at man and under and 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 before the fall in the garden? No, he was not. So in Christ, that has been reconciled back to the earth by the second Adam. Uh, reconciled all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. We find support for this victory of on the cross, the shedding of his blood through the apostolic record along with this idea of reconciliation. Listen to what Hebrews 12, uh, 2.17 says. Speaking of Christ, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Okay, in all things. Second Corinthians 5.18 says, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that means meaning that God was in Christ, reconciling the world, the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
And then in Ephesians uh, 1.10, it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. All things. It says all heaven and earth in Christ reconciled about five or six times in those passages. As a foregone conclusion, this is what he did on his cross. That's what his shed blood did, okay? I believe that those passages speak to God through Christ and the Holy Spirit, but through Christ's shed blood, having done all of his work to bringing everything in heaven and in earth into a reconciled place. How so? The shed blood of Jesus completely reordering everything that was once operating on a different level. Okay? He restored it back to the Edenic state by the shed blood. Now listen, that's all spiritual restoration. That is, it has nothing to do with material restoration or reconciliation. It has to do with the spiritual economy that was in the Garden of Eden. The second Adam Christ reconciled God back to that state. And so this does not mean that human beings uh, uh, are not the same as, as in the fall. Or it doesn't mean that we are all back to the state of the Garden of Eden. And it doesn't mean that suffering and unrest in the minds and hearts of man has ceased to exist like it was in the Garden of Eden. That's all another part of reconciliation. That's, that's the man-human material part that's on us. But in terms of God, him looking at us, he has been reconciled to us. We haven't been reconciled to him. That's why we have people who don't know him, like him, care for him, and, or, or whatever. But he, through Christ, shed blood on the cross at that time, was reconciled. Okay? So, it simply but magnificently means that where God was once at odds with creation, God now, through his Son and by the Spirit, is at one with all people. He's at one. He, the shed blood covered the sin of all people, not just believers, the whole world. So if you're wearing a burqa, if you are looking at Eastern metaphysics, if you're an atheist, God's reconciled by the shed blood. He looks down on you and he's like, hey man, I love you. I'm, I'm here to love you. But the reciprocity of humans looking back, that reconciliation hasn't happened, you see. That is go- that's going on and on and on and on on this world. But the finished work of the author and finisher of our faith on the cross is done. Okay? So imagine that God is going on a walk through the Amazon jungle. It's an example I used the other day. And uh, let's just say God's in a human body and he's walking through under the pre-fallen, before the fall age, he would be, uh, excuse me, not the pre-fallen age, before the pre-Christ age, I mean, after the fall up to Christ, God would be walking through that jungle and he would be slapping the insects and he would be killing the lions 
and he would be cursing the tribes that were trying to kill him as he walked his way through the Amazon. Because mankind, represented by the creatures in the jungle, were at odds with God. They hadn't been reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that was God before reconciliation, but God making his journey through that same jungle after the shed blood of Jesus is now journeying through the jungle peaceably. He has no problem with the insects that are landing on him. He doesn't swat them. He gently takes them and says, fly away. He doesn't have problem, God, with the tribes, even though they're trying to throw spears at him. He loves them. He doesn't have trouble with the animals and the tigers that want to rip him apart. He has been reconciled to that fallen world. Uh, Same earthly situation, completely different response from God because of what Christ did on the cross, uh, reconciling the world to himself, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. I'm under the impression that under the terms of the fall, that both heaven and earth and things under the earth were under a specific administration. And I don't know what it looks like. It's a mystery to me. But once Jesus had finished the work of reconciliation, everything in heaven and earth changed, according to Hebrews 12. And they were ultimately shaken and leveled. So the only thing that could remain were permanent administrative uh, uh, constructs in place that existed pre-fall and exists spiritually now forevermore post-Christ. And that speaks to the overhaul of that former economy, uh, both in heaven and in earth. So Paul has described God the Father in the first verses that we covered um, before here in Colossians. He says, And you who are sometimes alienated and enemies in your minds by wicked works, now he has reconciled. Okay? So it seems that reconciliation based on scripture, is, comes in two, two forms. Hang with me here. Um, one is general reconciliation. That occurred by Christ's shed blood for the world, all peoples, and that God has been reconciled to the world. That is general reconciliation. And the other one is specific or individual reconciliation. The first being the universal template of the world when it was reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. That reconciliation appears to be one way that God is reconciled to man. It points down one way. That's the general reconciliation. Okay? And um, so God is fine now walking through the Amazon jungle peaceably, but it doesn't mean that the animals or tribes people or insects in the jungle want him. He, through Christ, has been reconciled because of Christ. That is proven in Scripture that I just read to you. But it doesn't mean the material world and the creatures on it reciprocate. That's specific reconciliation. That's individual reconciliation. God calls to all. His will is that all would be saved. His will is that none would uh, perish. And he uh, seeks for all of his creations to respond. He's totally reconciled to us. The question now is, will we be reconciled to him? Now, this launches us into a discussion about our receiving him. And scripturally, it appears that this is both a product 
of his will, calling to all, and our will, receiving his call. I am not against the idea of the predestination of the nation of Israel um, to do and be what God wanted them to do and be. And I think there are cases even today where people, specific people, are predestined by God or called of God to do specific things in his kingdom. So in the Amazon travels of God in the age of reconciliation, it could be as far as the Bible seems to maintain, it could be that while God is traveling without a care, there are some animals that still want to kill him. Some tribesmen who are specifically chosen and used by God to serve him, all the while God is readily to try, really trying to receive them. When they, when we do, um, that is the specific reconciliation that the scripture speaks about. So again, really quickly, there's a general reconciliation done by Christ on the cross. And God is reconciled to the whole world, every single religion, non-religion, whatever it is, because of Christ shed blood on the cross. Now, the specific reconciliation occurs in each individual's heart. Do they reconcile themselves in their heart to God? Is that part of it? When they do, that specific reconciliation is what makes sons and daughters for God. They become his. And the only way it happens is by and through Christ. Hear that again because of what I'm about to say. I want to make this clear. It only happens by and through Christ, whether people know it or not. All right. So we're going to go to the board and look at what this looks like relative to believers and their faith in Jesus Christ. Gone are the days of the New Testament images. They have been fulfilled. And so the image to represent the generally reconciled world, I'm going to put on the board in the shape of a pyramid. Oh, scary, I know. Let's look. Oh, And there goes my screen. Okay. So, this is how Christianity looked in the, in the former age when Christ was preparing his bride to take her. And it's written, and it's described in scripture, and I agree with it. And that is, it looked like this. This is everyone else. And this is his bride or his apostolic church. These were insular. These were exclusive. And everybody who was not her, who was outside of her, was not saved. Uh, they were going to Sheol. And uh, they did not have the Lord, no Lord. In their lives, okay. This is the uh, the the what we see in the uh, apostolic record. You can't help but see that, okay. That's and so that's what Christians read today, and they think it's still going on today, because they see Jesus as uh, having established that he hasn't come back yet, and so we're still in that, and that's why people who are Christians often treat people of other faiths and everything else in this way. Okay, now let me go and try to explain to you what this looks like since Christ has 
reconciled the world to himself and taken his bride. It looks like this, as scary as this figure is for some people. This triangle represents the entire world, the universe. It represents everybody. This is how God sees this world. These, these people, if this is God's eye, not to freak you out with symbols, but if this is God's eye, he sees everybody in this context and this lens he's looking through is Christ. It's Jesus. Jesus did it. He reconciled the world to the Father and God sees everybody in that. There's no outside anymore. Because Christ has had the victory reconciling the world to the Father. Okay? But um, there are some elements about this that um, need to be talked about. And that is when it comes to God is fine. This is a smiling eye. He, he's happy. Okay? This is a smile down here. He's happy with what he sees because of what Christ did. He is not angry with anybody because Christ's uh, shed blood was for the world, as Scripture clearly says. But we in this world that God sees through with a smile on his face, we are not reconciled to him yet. And some of us will never be reconciled to him because there's three ways I'm going to express this. There could be more or less. But the first group, the widest group, is the I don't care. I don't care that God is smiling. Make this eye a little bit better. Hey. He's very happy. But this, ba this broadest level, they don't care that God's reconciled through Christ's blood. And he allows that. He's reconciled to them, but they don't care. So there's no reconciliation to that. The second group that uh, we can talk about are that these are people who say, I care and I have faith. Now, when we say that, they say, I care and I have faith, but what are they, what are they having faith about? What, what is their faith on? Um, so, before I answer that, we have a final group. And that group not only says, but lives in I love okay so first group i don't care what god has done or if there's a god second group i care and i have faith in and it could be catholicism mormonism being a baptist being a jew being a buddhist being a Muslim, I care, I have faith, there is a God. And that group right there are different from the I don't care about God at all group. Remember, God is smiling and looking down, but specific reconciliation is up to every individual now. He's calling to all, but some don't care and some say, I have faith. 
But we get to the, the last one, and, that, and, and I purposely put I love here and not I have faith in Jesus here. I, I did that for a tricky reason. I didn't put I have faith in Jesus here. I put instead I love here. Here's why. I don't think anyone can love like the Bible describes, which is selflessly, dying to self, insufferably, patiently, long-suffering, sacrificially, the way Christ lived his life. I don't think anyone can actually do that unless Christ is in them. He has to be in them for people to love. Because if he's not in them, they don't have the ability in their flesh to love as he did. So I broke the groups up who have been reconciled, the whole world, to I don't care about any of this, to I care, there's a God, I have faith, and I'm a Catholic, I'm a Mormon, I'm a Jew, I'm a Muslim, I'm a this or that. They have faith. These are people who have faith. And that's fine. And God, God, he's pleased that they're looking to him, I'm sure. But, you know, but the question is, do they love? Do they love? Who gives a schnit if you're a Baptist and you don't love? God doesn't. This was Jesus' commandment. So in the age of fulfillment, we distinguish people by their love, not by their professed faith. Because if you, if you are saying it's by the faith, you're suggesting that doctrine is superior to the verb of love. And it's not. It's not. Love is the ultimate goal. That's what hangs the law and the prophets. So I'm suggesting in the age of fulfillment, knowing that Christ has reconciled the world to us and the Father now sees the whole world as reconciled and he's not mad at people who wear burqas or people who count beads or people who do this. He loves people who don't care about him. He loves people who have a faith and seek him. But what he really loves, those who are his children, are those who love as he commanded. And let me tell you something. These can be of all faiths or of no faith. And I know that's radical to say it, but they all, whether they know it or not, have Jesus in them. And they will discover that someday in their life. The whole purpose of this discussion is to get us to stop looking at this model of it's us versus them out in the world. Oh, they they are this faith. They are that faith. They're Mormon. They're, they're Baptist. They're Muslim. They're Jew. No, they're not us. And it's blah, 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 blah. That's got to go. Because God has reconciled the world to himself through his son. So he doesn't even do that. He loves everybody. And he's calling for everybody to receive his son. Some don't care. Some have a faith in his son. But does the faith that they profess rise to the, the level of them loving? Because that's his commandment. 
you see. And so when we look at it this way and the reconciliation, the specific reconciliation that goes upward, that means it's individuals choosing how they're going to live their life. God has decided he loves everybody, but us choosing those who don't care one thing, those who uh, have a faith or another thing, but those who love are those who are his children. They love as he's command. And so what we have to say is we're not going to focus on people who are of these different faiths. We're not going to say, oh, you're a Catholic or you're a Jew or you're a Buddhist or you're a Mormon. When we talk to individuals, you can go after Islam as a, as a collective. But when you're talking about individuals, Christians today, knowing the age of fulfillment is in place, should be looking at humans and deciding who they are, not on what they wear, eat, or believe but on how they love. And when you do that, then you know you have brothers and sisters who are in the LDS faith. Or you know that you have um, a friends that are Muslim. One of the greatest families I've ever met, really, it was, were in Sri Lanka. And they were this uh, fully, full-blown fundamentalist Muslim family. But they invited me to their house. I studied with the men. The women were making food for everybody. They loved people. They really did. And they were, and I would ask them, well, what about, we don't like, we're not that, we're not that. And I was all about, no, you're no good, right? I was all about Mormons are right. So if we can make this shift and, and, and not pick on people because they have differences in these ways, but just assess people by their love, as defined by scripture, by the way, not just, <clears throat> not just some, uh, erotic love or, 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 uh, familial love, sacrificial, self-effacing, humble, good, uh, kind, patient, long-suffering love. No matter who it comes from, I'm suggesting that they have Christ in them. They just don't know it yet in some cases. That's how he has had the victory over heaven and earth. Is that even without saying his name, he's in them. And when they die, they'll be like, oh, I was kind of talking about the wrong guy for quite a while. That's all right. I reconciled everything to uh, my father a long time ago. I got that. Because of your culture, your upbringing, your whatever, you couldn't get it that it was me, but I've been in you the whole time. Why? Because you had a faith you sought my father, you sought me, and you, you let my spirit work in you. By your love, you'll be known. When Christians can start seeing each other in this way and back off from the dogmatic rhetoric that we insist people have in their life, like, did you go forward and, and ask to be saved? Uh, you know, have you, been, have you truly been saved by Christ? Did you say his name? Did you confess your sins? No, God is outside of that. His son has reconciled everything. So consider that when we're talking about Jesus. And we discover all these things about what he has accomplished rather than us trying to get things accomplished in his name, waiting for his return to take his bride. And in the age of fulfillment, it's done. Our job now is to love everybody. We love this group, this group, and this group. And we're known for that love. 
Those who are his do the same. They do the same, no matter what their professed faith is. When they don't do the same, you can say, well, that's between them and God. We'll see how that works out. Join us next week. Write your comments below. We want to hear your thoughts on reconciliation, that Christ has reconciled the world to the Father completely. It's done. And if that's true, as scripture said that I read earlier, then we are under a new paradigm on how we act and how we live our lives and how we see the faith. Far more grateful, far more impressed with God's plan than the limited uh, view that this thing has. All right, we'll see you next week.